So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to the book of Ephesians. We're working our way bit by bit through the book of Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. You can look that up in the table of contents in the front of your Bible. You can turn to the middle and then start going towards the back and you'll find it. Ephesians. As you're doing that, I just want to point out what you've probably already realized is that today is a fifth Sunday of the month, and so today we get to have our kids in service with us. If you're excited about having our kids, why don't you let them know? Yeah, baby. Kids, I got, I got two things I need you to do today, all right? Two things. So there's a word that I'm going to say probably at least once, and any time I'll probably say it more than once. If I say the magic word, then I need you to say, that's right, Okay. So the magic word is the word remade. So, so, hey, man, we got some deep voice kids in here now. I don't know. Got to get that check. Need to get that youngster signed up for football. He's going to be a millionaire. Anyways, uh, never heard a kid say, that's right. Anyway, so now that you've completely thrown me off and I enjoy it, let's try again. Kids, when you hear the magic word remade, you're going to say, that's right. So, for instance, I might say, In the image of Jesus, you've been remade. Kids, 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 come on. Here we go. Let's try again. I say remade. I made it too hard, okay? I'll just say the word. You say that's right. Remade. Okay, there we go. We'll get there. We're going to learn together, all right? So that's the first thing I need you to do. The second thing, kids, stick with me. The second thing I need you to do is this. Try to keep up, and you might just make a little line on a sheet of paper or just count in your mind to how many times you hear the name Jesus today. All right? Maybe when we get done at the end, you might know, hey, he said Jesus this many times. You, you might be the winner if that happens. Now, you're not going to win anything, but it'll be good for you. All right? So when I say remade, okay, this is, we're, okay, adults, you're going to have to help them out. All right? So I can already tell just everybody all in on the that's right. Okay? So when I say that word, we're going to say that, and then I want you to count how many times you hear Jesus. All right? It's a question we ask a lot around here. Do you ask you, before we jump into the passage It's a question we ask a lot around here. Do you want to actually hear from God as we open his word? Because I'm I'm just really personally, it's just a a burden that I believe the Lord has placed specifically in my heart at how easy it is for us to, to do a lot of the things that we do to honor God and yet never consciously think about the fact that we're with God. It's really easy for us to do a lot of things about him and forget that we're with him. And so I just want to ask you, if that's you, if you would say, man, I need to hear from God. I want to know that when we're done here, his word has made a difference in my life in some way. Maybe even an unexpected way. I don't know. But if that's you, I just want to give you a minute just to say to God in the quietness of your own soul, God, if you'll speak, I'll listen. Listen, don't, don't worry. I should have said this on the front end. Don't worry if kids are making a noise here and there. I'm sure when Jesus was preaching to thousands of people on a grass-covered hillside that there probably was not pristine quiet. Okay? We're great with that, okay? So don't worry about that. You focus on your heart before the Lord. If you want to hear from him today, I'll give you just a minute to say that to him in your own way. Maybe you need to tell him the things that might be a burden or distraction from, from you hearing. Maybe you need to do that. You tell him in your own way you want to hear from him, and then I'll pray. Father, I am humbly aware and maybe even painfully aware of how much we need you. 
to lead us in your word, how much we need your spirit to light it up for us, how much we need you not just to give us technical understanding of scripture, but how we need you to pinpoint the exact spots in our souls where we need to be comforted, challenged, encouraged, whatever we need, God. I pray that for every heart that wants to hear from you, that you would let us leave knowing that you have answered that prayer. We trust you to do that. We ask you to do that. We need more than just a guy with a book. We need to see the words on the page for what they are, the words of life. God, I pray that you would let our hearts be quick to see it. Help us to see it. We ask it for your glory, Jesus. Amen. So if you've been around for a while, I've probably said it before, but you may not realize how true it is. Um, I am a self-proclaimed mama's boy. All right? I, I have no qualms about that. I'm not trying to hide from that. You could say that to me as an insult, and I would take it as a compliment. My mama is a very special, special lady, holds a very special, unique space in my heart. Love her dearly. It might surprise you to hear that even in recent years, probably three, four years ago, when I was old enough to, to think through decisions like this, I at one point, and this is just by way of confession, all right, nobody's perfect in here, I at one point took a very sharp pair of scissors to my mom's arm. I did, right? And, and I know I can feel the weight in the room, okay? And I get it. And it was not, you know, it's not a pretty thing for scissors to interact with skin, right? What happened was, <laughs> my mom, with, with some, some issues with um, her health, has, has developed skin that easily tears and rips. And sometimes she, she can just bump up against something and have a big bruise on her arm. And so she was at our house for the weekend, and I don't remember exactly what she had tripped on and run up against, but her arm had gotten against something. And I'm not trying to be too informative and gory here, but there was a large flap of skin that was no longer where it needed to be. All right, I'll just go there. And, and I'm kind of squeamish when it comes to things like that. All right, I mean, I, I'm fine if it's me in pain, but when I'm watching somebody else, I start to go, Ugh. And my mom, I'll never forget, looked at me and said, I hate to ask you this, but I'm going to, and she's got tears because it's hurting. I know it was painful. And she says, I hate to ask you this. I'm going to need you to come over here and cut this off my arm and, and bind me up. Give me some bandages. And I was like, you need me to what? Right. I was thinking, like, I'll drive you to the urgent care. It's right over there, right? Like, I'm glad to do that, Mom. I'll sit with you all day. She said, no, 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 I need you to do it. I've had to do this multiple times before. Pulls out these little scissors, got, like, the little squeeze scissors, super sharp points on the end. And she's like, okay, I'm going to hold this. And she walked me through the whole process. And the whole time, I'm just sitting there, can't hardly breathe, go, <gasps> Try not. To, I'm just thinking about, you know, that feeling when you have exposed skin and nerves being touched. And I'm thinking about cold metal and I'm thinking I'm hurting my mom that I love so dearly. She has to walk me through step by step to do this. And eventually we got it done and eventually we got some meds on her and got her wrapped up. And that was two, three years ago. And so far she's still using the arm. So I did pretty good. Okay. But here's the reason I would share that story with you, because the way that the story ended, you're glad that I took a pair of scissors to my mom's arm, aren't you? You're glad that a son would step in and try to serve and care for and love his mom. But at the beginning when I just tell you, hey, I took a really sharp pair of scissors to my mom's arm, that didn't sound so good, did it? <laughs> I didn't see anybody in here like grin and go, this is going to be a cute story, right? Everybody in here was like, did y'all talk to this guy really extensively before y'all hired him to be our pastor? Like, what's, maybe y'all didn't ask all the questions, you know? Right, and here's what I want you to to, to hear from, from thinking through that story from those two different lenses is just this, is that understanding intention can absolutely shape the way that we hear. When we understand the intention behind a statement, when we understand why things being done or said, when, when we understand intention, it can shape how we hear what we hear. 
And it's so crucial to me as we're going through the second half of the book of Ephesians that we understand the heart of God, his intention, as he, by his spirit, gives us these words. We've, we've said that in this series, we're learning what it means for God in Jesus to have remade us. Come on, somebody was with it. Yeah. Right, we're saying that, that he didn't just clean us up a little bit. He didn't just kind of wipe a little of the smudge off the dirty penny. But like he has completely transformed the inside of us such that, yes, we still struggle with the old ways and the old self. But our new identity is not that old self. But our new identity is the new us in Jesus remade. We may start doing this every week. I like it, y'all. I'll tell you. Blair like it too. You got on sunglasses too, girl. What's up? Right? We are made new in Jesus. And we've said that the first half of the book tells us how God has gone about making us new in Christ. And the second half tells us how to live in this new identity. It would be as if you were handed the best gift ever on Christmas and yet it came with no instruction manual and you had no clue how to use it. You'd be going, well, I, I think this is awesome, but how do I do this? You would really appreciate somebody giving you the how, somebody giving you the directions, the instructions. And so as we press into some commands of our God about how we live our lives and how we are not to live our lives, I hope that we can hear the intent. It's not for a God to beat us over the head with rules so that we can feel constantly defeated. It's so that a father who is kind and loving can lead us in how to walk in the new freedom that we now have in our new identity in Christ. It's completely different. Because if you hear it as the first, you walk away defeated and knowing you're never going to make the mark. And guess what? You're right. You won't. That's why you need Jesus. <laughs> but if you walk away here in the second, you hear hope and potential in the person of Jesus and all that he has done in you. So we're going to hear a little bit more today of how we are to live out this life as we start Ephesians chapter 5. It says this in verse 1. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So again, Paul starts a, a section of verses with the word therefore, which means he's referring back. He's saying, based on what I just said, I want you to hear this. So we've got to ask them, what did he just say? At the end of chapter 4, he's reminding us to take off the old us, right, and live in such a way that doesn't grieve God's spirit. He says you can do that by living in gentleness and kindness with forgiveness that's plentiful and abundant. Be forgiving the same way Jesus forgave. He said if you want to live this kind of life that would be this gentle, loving, patient, compassionate, gracious soul, this kind of life that wouldn't grieve the spirit and wouldn't walk in ways that are openly, clearly rebellion to God, then do this. Therefore, if you wish to do that, therefore, and he's going to tell us the rest, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. The first thing that, that Paul is calling us to in this passage of verses is really simple to understand, but a lot harder to apply. He says, imitate God. Do what God does. If you're a parent in the room, you probably know both the beauty and the delight and a little bit of the aggravation of having children who know how to imitate you really well, right? When they imitate you and it's something you didn't necessarily want imitated, 
I, I, for some reason, on our last vacation as we were pulling into town, I was just in a silly mood. We've been in the car for a long time. So I said, can't wait to get down here to the beach because, you know, at the beach, I, I don't like seafood. I like to eat a chili dog. Right? That's what I said. And so now, weeks later, months later, we've been home from the beach, and I'm still hearing a couple of boys at my house go, hey, let's get that chili dog. And I'm like, stop, right? Stop with the chili dog. <laughs> you know what it is for that bit, but, but you also know what it is for imitation to be flattered. For them to do something that they've seen you do. And maybe you didn't even teach them to do it. And they're just copying you and you're going, man, that's beautiful. Two of my favorite pictures in the world. One is of my oldest son, Judson, when he was a young little dude. He had snuck out unbeknownst to me and gone to the garage and grabbed his little Fisher-Price lawnmower. And I was out mowing our yard with my push mower. And he's behind me. Right? He's back there behind me pushing with his. And Jamie just happened to catch him as he was going out. And she got a picture with her phone. And there we are. And I'm, I'm pushing and, and mowing the grass. And he's right behind me with his little bubble-blowing thing. And he's right there pushing because he wants to do what Dad's doing. The reason that picture probably means even more to me than it really would otherwise is because there's a picture taken several, several years prior of my dad back in the 80s, right, with the great weatherman hair, perfect hair in place, out there pushing the push mower in his yard. My dad used to have the yard cut in squares that looked like a golf course. People, would, people have literally stopped and said, how do, you, do you have like a device that cuts those shrubs in perfect symmetry? Like how do you, like my dad had the perfect yard. He's out there doing his deal, and I'm out there right behind him pushing my little plastic lawnmower. Right now, now it didn't carry over, right? Because at 41, I, I'm, I'm not trying to cut the grass, okay? I don't enjoy it. But at that moment, one thing I knew my dad cared a lot about, and I thought my dad was my hero. I remember I wouldn't see my dad for a couple of days, three days sometimes because of his work schedule. I would ask my mom every morning, is dad coming home? And when I knew he was coming home at a certain time, I would be rushing to get outside to see him when his truck pulled into the driveway. He was my best buddy. He was my hero. And if he took value in cutting the grass, guess what I want to do? Cut the grass. You know what it is, I hope, to be so loved by someone that you want to mimic what they do. You go, hey, I've, I see that you're not perfect, but I see the way you did this when you loved me, and I want to do that too. Paul says, do that with God. <laughs> That's a tall order. It, it might even sound a little overwhelming. How is it that we are to imitate the perfect God? Maybe he helps us out when he says... To live with this same kind of love that Jesus has loved with as a sacrifice that you would give yourself willingly, sacrificially. The picture that he gives is one of this aroma rising up to God. The, the word picture there is that it was this pleasing thing that when a sacrifice that was honorable to God came up, God could smell it and, and he, went, he was delighting in it. And he went, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Maybe the way that, that I feel when I smell that, that pie that I love in the oven. <laughs> I go, oh yeah, right? God loves it when his people live for his glory and his honor. And we're, said, we're, we're told by Paul, be sacrificial, live humbly towards each other, love humbly towards the world around you, and in so doing, you'll be imitating God. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, somewhat of a friend of mine, is, is a college football coach, and I've heard him, I watch a lot of his interviews just because I'm kind of a fan of his personally, and I've heard him say multiple times as a, as a coach, and he's over, you know, how many ever players and this huge infrastructure of support staff and all these different people. And he says, listen, decisions are really easy for me because I just ask myself one question. I say, is this what's best for my players? And if it is, I do it. And if I don't think it is, I don't do it. 
He's like, I got a bunch of decisions coming my way all the time, tons of money, all this stuff that's involved with all this. But at the end of the day, I just ask myself, is this what's best for them or is it not? And then I do it if it's a yes and I don't if it's a no. Right? Maybe we could be helped by the simplicity of saying, does this look like my God? Is this an imitation of my God or is this different than who my God is? Are we living our lives sometimes so churned up and and so maybe downtrodden because we've got so much energy invested in trying to please God in a way that would gain his acceptance, in a way that would gain his favor when he said, you already have that in Jesus, so why don't you just be like me? (laughs) Just go imitate me, be like me. How could that simple instruction hang over our lives and change the way that we live? Listen, if you're struggling spiritually, I know from dark seasons of my faith, what we have to do sometimes, the harder things get, the harder it is for us to see spiritually, we have to simplify it down and come back to the cross and just go, Jesus loves me, he has proven it. And maybe a a helpful part of that simplicity is to go, now how do I imitate this God? He says, listen, do these things. He's going to give us some particulars as we move forward. Verse 3 says this, It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, that's weighty. My guess is that that's either a really weighty passage for you or it's no problem at all because you don't even think it necessarily, like, that's not a struggle for me, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and the reality is, is that if we're honest with our own souls, the place we need to live is probably in the, the tension-packed middle of those two places. You, you see this from the, the verses. He says, listen, these kind of things are not even to be named among you who are the saints. This is not supposed to be the stuff that's even mentioned of you in your life. And so what I hope you're seeing, if you see nothing else, is that he's talking about sexual immorality and, and all the covetousness, the wanting that which not, is not mine in that field of thinking, in those affections. When he's talking about this impurity, right, he's saying, listen, this immorality, which that word is, is not a, a specific act, is for any act that's not the right act. He says, if you in any way delve into a place you don't need to be in this realm, that's something that is not even supposed to be named among you. This is a big deal to God. You, You can see that he extends it beyond just any physical encounter and physical interaction. And he says, listen, even the way that you talk, even you're joking about it. When we joke about something that might be away from that which was what honors God, what we're doing is making light of something that Jesus died for. (laughs) When we're called to be people who treasure the intimacy that he has given us in this one specific relationship that mirrors the relationship of Jesus to his church, that of a husband and wife. When we make light of that, when we don't treat it with modesty, when we make jokes, when we step into other people's experiences and speak into them in ways that, that aren't helpful and that we don't even need to be in there and we don't need to have that knowledge to begin with, he says, listen, when you enter into that place, when you just talk about it, you're living in a realm that's not even supposed to be named among you. Could there be anything that we could be more saturated with as, a, as Americans than loose talk about physical relationships? It's all over the place. He says, don't let 
that happened. Don't even let it live in your heart and in the place of a, of a coveting desire of wanting that which is not yours. There's all kinds of places we could go with this today, and I know it's a little bit of an uncomfortable topic, and you're going, we got the kids in the room, we're going to be fine, okay? Right? There's a lot of places we could go, but instead of trying to track down and beat down every area that, that maybe this brings application to, I would just encourage us to look at what is genuine and what God has blessed. Remember hearing a long time ago that, that people who, who for the, the IRS and for the feds that, that study money, they just study really deeply the genuine currency, and then they can easily recognize that which is false. <laughs> you could hand me the best rice pudding you could possibly make today. I could tell you it was not my mama's. I just know that tastes very specifically. So what is it that God has blessed? He's blessed a husband and a wife for life committed to each other in the midst of all the burps in life and the hang-ups and the scratches and the itches and the moral fabric being torn and oh my goodness I never knew they had that struggle and oh my goodness that's weaker than I ever thought and how am I supposed to bear with this person and love them he says you're committed to each other through all of that and you are radically committed to their advancement and well-being two people pointing that at each other at 100 miles per hour as often as possible all the time he said, this relationship is one that you would cap off with this special type of physical relationship that shows this beautiful intimacy and commitment that Jesus has with those that he has saved and rescued and remade. Man, okay, all right. Woo, some of y'all had to wake up a little bit, all right? If you know what the genuine article is, you can recognize everything outside of that. And I'd be willing to bet, and I'm praying and hoping, that just by us discussing it for a moment today, that as we walk into our week, we'll have a little spiritual alertness going off when we see a lot of things in our world that don't look like God-honoring sexuality. Right? You may not be tempted right, to that relationship, but what about the things that we let pour into our minds through the lenses of our eyes? You may not relationally be tempted to stray away from your spouse, but you would never have any grounds of comparison to compare them in a way that, that doesn't honor God if we didn't open up our eyes to a lot of other things. Be that around us relationally, we see people, be that images, whatever it is. Right? He says, listen, pursue purity in the way that Jesus loves you. Right? Mimic that in the love you have with each other. It's interesting that he talks about even the way that we speak, and that's where he's going to kind of continue to tease out. So we look at verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Man, underline that, maybe in your Bible, definitely in your heart. You are light in the Lord, follower of Jesus. You're not less than, you're not dark, you're not smudged, you're not dirty, you're not ugly, you're not shameful. If you are trusting in Jesus for your salvation and your hope, you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. He says, you're light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. In verse 10, I love verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. See, he makes a really stark contrast. He says, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life 
It's supposed to look starkly different from your life when you weren't a follower of Jesus. And some of us may have been followers of Jesus since the time we were knee-high to a grasshopper. So maybe it's helpful for us to think about not just what our life looked like pre-Jesus, right? Because you're like, well, my life pre-Jesus was real slim. (laughs) Maybe it's helpful for us to think about what would my life be like without Jesus? Where would I have gone? Where might I have wandered? What are the urges and the desires and the selfish things and the things that I would love to gratify? And I know I would go there if it weren't for this Savior named Jesus who's loved me and who leads me. He says, listen, you're you're not just kind of similar to the old you. You're not kind of similar to a person that, that doesn't trust and know and follow Jesus. He says, you are starkly different. You were once darkness. You are now light. It doesn't get any more different than that. There's darkness, which is absence of light, and there's light. And when you flip the switch, the light floods in, and there's no more darkness. It's one or the other. He says, listen, don't live in the darkness. Don't let somebody deceive you and kind of round the edges off the purity that God's called you to honor him with. Don't let somebody deceive you in that way. Instead, pursue that which is light and walk in the light. Listen, I just want to say to you from the bottom of my heart as your pastor I'm burdened by the fact that in a a great effort to preach grace and preach the love of Jesus that we have often, as the American Christian church, failed to call people to God's mandates for our obedience. Yes, he loves us perfectly. That's every reason that we need to be motivated to live the way he's called us to live. Yes, he loves me just like I am. That's why I don't want to be this way anymore in all the ways that dishonor him. And he's calling us, step away from that. Let your life be distinct. We will not impact the world for the glory of Jesus if we never walk into the world. If we never associate and affiliate and spend time with those who don't know Jesus, we'll never interject Jesus into that world. But our impact will be extremely limited and stunted if everything about our lives looks really similar to everything of the lives of those who don't know Jesus. We got to go, but we also got to be distinct. Not for the sake of our pride and feeling good about it. Not for the sake of keeping a moral track record. But because there's a Jesus that we want to make a really big deal of and shine a really bright light on. And you can't shine a bright light through your darkness. Right? We're called by Jesus. Let your light shine. So that men would see your light but glorify God. Just live that way. And I love verse 10. I love... The grace in it. So we're called to God's standards of behavior. Him knowing all well that we're not going to meet them perfectly. That's why he sent Jesus. We're called to those standards. But then verse 10 says this. In every area that's not perfectly clear. In every single spot where you're not exactly sure how to apply God's truth. He says, try. He says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I love the grace there. I love that there are moments in life where there's not a verse I can point to and go, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that right in this moment or not. (laughs) I'm not sure if I should give the money and and bless in this place or that place. I'm not sure if I should save or give. I'm not sure if I should teach the kid this now or teach the kid this later. I'm not sure if I should teach them this at all or teach them to do it this way. I'm not sure how to handle a whole lot of things about life. I love the grace from, from the scriptures to say, try to discern what is pleasing to God. And when you feel like you've got it, go live in it by faith. What we got to be careful of, though, is, is when we cover up half-hearted effort with the name of, I'm trying. <laughs> Aren't we guilty of that sometimes? <laughs> well, we kind of half do, and that way we can feel good about saying, well, I'm trying. 
our trying won't produce a perfect effort, right? Or it won't produce a perfect outcome, but we can try with everything that we have, right? Jamie and I have had this conversation. I hope this isn't information I'm going to be in trouble for later, right? But we've had this conversation. I think I'm getting better about it. I always want her to know I'm very willing to help you. I just need you to tell me what to do so I can help. (laughs) And her response to that many times has been, I want you to be watching for how you can help and just jump in and help, right? And I'm like, I'm in the recliner, which I know you don't love, but I've said 70,000 times, if you'll tell me what to do, I'll do it. If you said right now, it would really help me if you would take this bag of trash and walk to Nebraska, I would go, I think you're nuts, but if I really can believe that it's going to help, I'll take out right now today. Let me get my walking shoes on. I'll do it if you'll just tell me. And she's going, I want you to try more than just sitting on your duff waiting on me to tell you. I want you to proactively seek out and search and watch for ways that you can alleviate burden for me and for our family. You know who that sounds a whole lot like? Somebody who does that kind of thing? Jesus. Jesus proactively watching for how he can lift burden, for how he can help, for how he can serve, even though he's the king of the universe. How he can bow and stoop and serve. This is Jesus, and we're called to mimic him and walk in the same kind of love that Jesus walked in. Right? So the question, I think, of application is just this. Not are you living perfectly, because the answer for all of us is no. The question is, are you sincerely trying? Not to gain the affection or acceptance of God, but are you sincerely trying to do that which would bring a smile to his face, which brings him pleasure? Your stance as a saint of God, as a child of God, is not at risk in your behavior. That's not the kind of pleasure we're trying to bring. We're not gathering pleasure from God. We're bringing pleasure to the God who's already said yes to us. Are we sincerely trying to imitate him, love him in that way? You can see from Paul as we finish up these next few verses that what we're called to goes just beyond not taking part with those who are still walking in darkness. It's beyond just a disassociation. It's beyond just looking similar. It's not just not talking about the same things, whatever. It goes beyond that. Verse 11 says this, Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. So we've heard that, right? That's what he's been saying. Take no part in these unfruitful works, but what? But instead, expose them. That word expose is just an uncomfortable word, isn't it? It's uncomfortable if you're called to be the one to do the exposing. It's uncomfortable if you're the one who's having something exposed. But it's what we're called to by God. He says, don't take part in unfruitful things, but instead expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Believe this is Paul saying, I'm not even going to bring up the specific topics because I think you know about them. And I'm encouraging you to expose them in the right ways. We talked last week about true words that are also timely, fitting of the occasion. So sometimes exposing sin is a one-on-one, right? So exposing sin is not buying a billboard out on the highway and going, hey, let me tell everybody what you did, right? We always expose with love, right, with good intentions in the end, right? But we do expose. He says, listen, it's shameful to even speak of those things that they do in secret, verse 13, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, If we just open up our hearts to God and his light in our lives, we can see clearly what's present in us. And then he ends with what I believe is in a very evangelistic heart in this passage. An evangelistic call. Verse 14, he's kind of paraphrasing, I believe, from Isaiah. He says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, scripture is this quote, a paraphrase. He says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. 
and Christ will shine on you. <laughs> because, hey, that which is exposed to the light becomes light. It becomes visible. If you're asleep and you're in your sin and you're in a place of dullness toward the God of the universe because you don't know his son, Jesus, come to the light and wake up and see that he would make you light in Christ is what we just heard. So the, the imagery might be a little weird for our day and time. We may not talk light and darkness often, okay? But just think about it for a second. If you had to choose, which one do you want to, to flow out of your life? Which one do you want your soul to be chock full of? Darkness, where you can't see clearly. Darkness, where it's hard to enjoy much. Darkness or light where there's visibility to see and understand life and the world around me as I'm led by God. Which do you want? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, listen, following him has implications for every area of our lives. Our God gives us many, many mandates and instructions and directions and do and do not do. But listen, if you understand Jesus followers as a people who are obsessed with rules, then you haven't been around the right Jesus followers yet. Jesus followers are people who are obsessed with his grace in every area that we miss the rules. And when we see that kind of love and affection and we go, hey, how can I live to bring a smile to your face? How can I live to honor you and treat you like you're special? And then he goes, here it is. Here's my word. Here's how you can do it. The fact that it's an opportunity to honor him doesn't diminish at all the fact that it's absolutely commanded. That it's absolutely not a suggestion. It's absolutely not up to you. But it does bring a whole new sense of sweetness to our efforts to try and strain to please our God. Dublin Bible Church, followers of Jesus. Where are the cracks and corners and crevices of our lives where we maybe let some things seep in that don't really look like the genuine article that God has given us? Where are there places where we make light of what Jesus has died for? Man, where are the places where we can imitate God, where we can gladly run out behind him and go, hey, what you're doing, I want to do. Where have you seen God bless you? Here's a practical way for you to walk this out this week. Just sit down with a sheet of paper and ask yourself, where have I seen God bless me? Write down three or four things. He came through for me financially when I didn't know how I was going to pay the bill. He provided for my family when I didn't know how it was going to. Whatever it is for you where you've seen God bless you, write those things down and then look at God and go, God, how can I do that for somebody else? I want to imitate you. As you're reading the scriptures, reading through the book of John, and you see a certain statement of love or a certain act of love done by Jesus towards his people, you go, God, how can I do that? In the life of somebody else, how would you use me to bring that to their life? How can I imitate you? I'm going to ask Josh and the ladies to come back up. Shane, and they're going to come and lead us in one final song. As they come, I just want us to pray and just give a moment of pause in your soul. What would God say to you right now? How would God lead you in faithful obedience to imitate him? To love with the sacrificial kind of love that Jesus loves you with. I can tell you this, that if God 
would be so kind to you as to to convict you and point out certain areas that you need to change or certain areas of opportunity you need to step into. It would be his kindness to do so, and he would do it in such a way that he would be eager to lead you forward in new life and freedom. Don't hang your head in shame and stay there. See where he's prompting you and commit to moving forward with Jesus. Maybe you need to grab somebody and pray together today. Maybe you need to find a friend and go, hey, I know we're best friends, but you don't know this, and somebody needs to know this. I need help. Whatever you need to do today in response to God, respond in a way that honors him. Respond in a way that's real. Maybe you sit and pray. Maybe you stand and sing. Let's pray and then let let him lead us. God, our hope is not that we would walk out the doors 100 miles per hour trying to do all the good and forsake all the bad so that we can feel good about who we are in you. Our hope is that we can feel overjoyed about who you say we are in you to begin with. I pray you would open the eyes of our souls that we might see again fresh in you who we are to you, who you made us to be. God, that as you do that, we would gratefully run to obedience. Let us be a people who are not impressed by ourselves, but who do live a starkly different life for the glory of your name. I'm trusting you, God, to lead us individually, collectively, by your spirit and what that looks like for us today. Show us how to walk in repentance. Show us how to follow you in faithfulness. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.